Yeah, exactly. It's the love is always available. That's another way of thinking of you can yeah. mindfulness and creativity. You know, insight is receiving love from the universe. You know, manifestation is giving love back to the universe. And flow is basically just, it's like a, tor- a toroidal field. It's just, you know, it's like dancing. You know, you're feeling the music and you're, you know, you're doing, it, you're, it's just that full participation where you recognize that it's just everywhere. And, you know, love is everywhere. You are listening to The Powerful Creator Show with your host, Cheryl Sosnowski. If you can conceive it and believe it, you can achieve it. On episode four of The Powerful Creator Show, I interview creativity expert Austin Hill Shaw. Based in San Francisco area, Austin works with individuals who want to unlock their full creative potential and with organizations that want to build cultures of innovation. This is an incredibly interesting, thought-provoking interview that you won't want to miss. All right, well, let's get started. I'm so excited that you are joining me today for my inaugural podcast idea. So this, this whole idea was birthed in a dream, and I woke up and just went, oh, and I was like... I have to write it down, have to see if the name is available. I couldn't believe it was. So I'm like, okay, I'll, I take it, creativity. Thank you for planting that seed. I will take yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> good, good. Yeah, dreams are the best. They are. Yeah. So I love your book. I have it here in front of me, The Shoreline of Wonder. Which oh, is yay. An amazing book. Absolutely one of the best books I've read on creativity, hands down. Oh, thank you. So let's start by you sharing your story. And I think it's really important to how you formed your development and insights for what creativity means to you. So did you always think that you were creative as a child or growing up? Did you consider yourself a creative person? Um, I did. I did consider myself to be a creative person. You know, I was one of those people that loved to, to draw and to make things and, and didn't feel discouraged from doing that or distracted from it. And, um, and so, yeah, I would say that I've, I've always, kind of identified with that um, artistic. And then of course, you know, when you start to see that creativity is the root of everything, you realize, I mean, it can really be applied to anything. And when you really look at out there in the world of people that are doing whatever they're doing really well, there's always an aspect of creativity. So yeah, it started out. And you know, when you are artistic, you get, you know, they say, oh, you're a creator, because of course, that's the way that most people identify um, a creative person is through art or artistic mm-hmm. expression, which mm-hmm. we know is just one type of creativity. Right. So, yeah. But uh, yeah, that, so that was, uh, that was encouraged and something that I embraced. And your real creative insights and your, your inspiration for your book, can you tell a story about how that came about? I thought that was a really interesting story and your um, observations and how that insight really affected you. Which one specifically in terms of being in Yosemite being climbing Yosemite. or mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, that was an amazing experience. So uh, basically I was, I, I was with, a, I was in Yosemite. I was there for a week and I was on a climbing trip with a, a friend of mine. I was kind of the peak of my climbing career. We, we climbed something like 6,000 vertical feet in seven days. So we were really kind of at the top of our game and we were doing this route called the, uh, the rostrum, which is kind of a famous route. It's, um, it's 10 pitches or about just under a thousand feet tall. And it, it's what's called a sustained route, meaning every, every part of the section always gives you something that you have to work on. You know, it's not, there's no real easy parts of it. Mm-hmm. And I just gone through a section that uh, was really difficult for me, just not something that's particularly good at, which is an off with where you can't, 
you know, fit your hands in there really well. You actually have to use really awkward things. And I got to the top of this and I was just tying myself in. I was exhausted. And I looked over at Bridal Bell Falls and suddenly the color was red. And, you know, and, and, I was, and it hadn't rained there in, in, in weeks. You know, it's dry typically in the Sierras in the summer. And so I was just struck. Like, and, and then it started to go into orange. And I realized what was happening was is there's just, you know, where I was standing and the sun descending and the vapor around the waterfall had cre- was creating this this prismatic effect where I was basically able to watch each color one shade at a time. Mm. And, uh, and my, my climbing partner couldn't see it. It was the 4th of July. So I could tell you where to go to see the rain. <laughs> but it, was, it, was, uh, it just, you know, it, it just, I mean, when you really think about it, everything is always, always already connected. But I think that one of the, the main illusions that we have specifically in the West is that we are self-made men and women right? That we're actually separate from the world. And, um, and I think that whether we like it or not, we kind of go around with that sort of um, hangover of separation a lot of the time, which prevents us from really feeling that felt sense of, you know, the way things actually are, which is we are always already connected to everything. And so an experience like that, just let me know that here's a sun millions of miles away and here I am right here and there's a waterfall about a half a mile away and that you know life is always unfolding like that it's Mm -hmm. always like a series of synchronicities we say that synchronicities are the exception they're actually the underlying substrate of everything everything is just playing itself out in these amazing patterns so um, it was helpful you know that that experience there just allowed me to really sink into the, the beauty and the miraculousness of nature. You know, and nature, of course, has been here long before humans have, and yet there's a quality to it which has been evolving despite the laws of entropy that, you know, the system should be getting less organized. There's something there, the creative force, that allows it to get more organized and create all these amazing forms that keep playing themselves out and mean. So, um, So I love that you call it the creative force. And that kind of gets down into how you define creativity in your book. And it's the way that you, that you combine the, your esoteric philosophies of creativity and just the universal, the mystery being willing to step into the mystery of it. But then you also put it in a really tangible, really scientific way that I really appreciated that makes it identifiable. You put a, you put something that's a, you know, ineffable into a really tangible way that people can grasp and understand. So can you expand on that, how you see that as creativity and how you define creativity? Yeah, I think the reason that we love creativity, there's a lot of reasons for it. First of all, first and foremost, we're all creators. You know, we are, that's our, that's our essence as human beings is that we're, we're creators. And so, you know, a big part of the journey for, for you and I is just reminding people of that, you know, because people cut themselves off on an identity level you know, and, and by cutting themselves off, they really filter and limit the way that they can actually interact with the world. The other thing about creativity, and I think this is true of things that we really love, is that it's, it's paradoxical. You know, it's not, in some ways, it's not one thing. It's actually, you know, I kind of put it into three different categories. Like one is our insights, and insights are passive. They're ineffable. They come to you. They're those aha moments that all of us experience. And um, really, you know, in, in searching for uh, a satisfying definition of creativity, you know, finding William James's varieties of religious experience and his talks about what mystics experience, I was like, oh, that's, an, that's, that's aha moments. You know, in religion, they call it 
you know, mysticism and science, mm-hmm. they call it divergent thinking, but it's basically you're stepping out from that sense of, um, you know, the confines of your, your thinking mind. And then opposite that is, is manifestation. It's like insights are great and they're wonderful, but you have to then start to define what you're doing. You have to be flexible. Um, you know, time goes on, you get new insights, uh, things change, you have to work with people. And so there's, you know, in, whereas the, the mystical experience of insight, you know, really occurs within you. It's very personal manifesting is really engaging, re-engaging the world. Even if you're working on a solo project, you're still engaging materials. You're still engaging, um, you know, maybe uh, social structures or financial structures. There's always things that we're, we're engaging. And, the, and one of the things that I'm really interested in doing is encouraging people to actually engage as though it has intelligence. Mm. Because, you know, it does. Everything has an, its own intelligence. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love that you brought up manifestation because that was another thing that I really appreciated in your book. And you have, I actually highlighted that to ask you um, to expand on that because on page 68, you said um, manifestation is the process of developing our insights of taking our glimpses of the ineffable and giving them form. So I love the way that you define um, taking those insights and those things that, that are things and how you create them into form. And I would love for you to talk more about how you've gone about doing that in your own life and how you think other people can do that. Well, well first of all, you know, like for, for like, like all every, everybody out there, like I'm just kind of fumbling along learning. I've got major curiosity around creativity. And so I stumble along thinking I'm going in directions and sometimes I go, Oh, you know, and so for in, in the case of this, uh, this idea of, you know, insight and, um, and manifestation, um, I was sitting down with a Sufi friend of mine who was also uh, working with Houston Smith, it turned out, which was a, just a, the world's religion scholar, who was, which was a total coincidence. And I said, I said to him, you know, insights, creative insights are brief. That was one of the things I said. You know, they're ineffable. They come with a sense of absolute truth. They're brief and they're passive. And he, says, and he said to me, Austin, they're brief, but they're windows on eternity. You know, I was like, oh, (laughs) and he's like, did you, did you know that? I'm like, no, I didn't. I didn't see that. You know, it's like, and so, you know, what manifestation is, it's like, again, you know, there's the idea that you have the insight and insights come and go. Right. But I really think that 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 sort of intelligence, that substrate is always already available. And sometimes for whatever reason, we sort of step into it and we get a real strong hit of what we need to do. But I also think that that same sort of intelligence and luminosity of insight is also there to help us carry things forth, you know, especially the difficult projects, things that are really meaningful to us, but we struggle with, you know, it was a struggle to write the, the shoreline of wonder because I had to fit, you know, I had to figure out first of all, what, what this thing was on some levels and it's, you know, it's not done. It's an ever evolving thing. Right. And then also to figure out how it was actually read in a way that was interesting to people. You know, it had to have story there. And so um, manifestation is, is, and I like to think there's a Buddhist idea of the Bodhisattva and they talk about something called the paramitas, the six paramitas. And there's basically five relative paramitas, which is like exertion, generosity, um, uh, meditation. Um, can't remember what the, the uh, there's like five of that, but then there's what's called the absolute param- paramita, which is basically wisdom. And it says all the paramitas, you know, have to all ultimately, you know, basically have connection with the wisdom. Otherwise they just become, 
habitual, they become rote, they become, they just come separated from that, that energy that, that makes us all feel so um, alive. Mm. And so it's not only like the insights that you have that I think, you know, are important in the creative process. It's the way that you take the journey after you have the insight. It's how you treat other people. It's the reverence you have for the materials of whatever you're working on. It's the, the love and appreciation of the people that came before you. Mm-hmm. you know, who have pioneered things like language and clothing, you know, all these things that we just sort of take for gla- glasses, you know, right. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's astounding, like that we are, we are the recipients of just the amazing creations. Of so other much. Yeah. And that you can sit in San Francisco, I could sit here in Phoenix, and we can sit here face to face and have this conversation. Yeah. How many thousands of people will listen to this conversation? Yeah. It's absolutely amazing the times that we live in. So it sounds like you, you think of creativity as kind of a scaffolding also in how you build your own life mm-hmm. on the shoulders yeah. of the giants that came before us and what, and that you know, I, now I believe in being a powerful creator that everybody's a powerful creator. Like you said, we are all creators. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me what you think that means to you? What does that mean for your life? And what does that mean for how, um, you go about teaching other people about creativity and applying that power in their own lives? Yeah. So, um, you know, principally I'm teaching creativity these days through the medium of architecture. And, you know, my mission is to empower others as creators. And, you know, one of the interesting things about studying creativity, and you might have run into this yourself, is like when you're talking about creativity, you might as well just be talking about the universe. It's so big in people's minds, you know, and we, you know, there's a universal appeal around creativity. People love, you know, creative things that come out. And yet, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to actually grasp what, what that thing is. Mm-hmm. And so... I'm sorry, I just went off on a tangent. You have to cue me back in. That's okay. No, it's fine. I was talking about um, how, you, how you take being a powerful creator to me and what that responsibility is to be a creator in your own life and how, what that responsibility means to other people to be powerful creators. Because it's not really about mm-hmm. creating wealth or creating material things. It's about really creating your, your authentic self. And you talk a lot about that in your book, about um, it being a path of authenticity. And yes. so I just want you to talk a little bit more about that, about what you mean by that. Thank you for that. Yeah, I appreciate that. So um, the, when you were asking the question earlier, what came up for me was, is that, you know, the, the, the most, what, what I, probably the most striking aspect of creativity is its healing components. And that um, when, you know, uh, people who live creative lives, they're more concerned about solving the creative conundrum than they are concerned about maintaining a fixed identity. And I think that that's a really powerful thing because um, so many of us get caught in patterns about who we think we should be, you know, what we should seem to be doing. You know, we're constantly kind of slotting ourselves into good boy, good girl, you know, um, power, you know, how to say, um, responsible, loving, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, I think that in my experience, the, the biggest and easiest way and most um, impactful way of working and to, to develop your own creativity is going into the shadows of your life, the things that aren't working, the things that you stuffed, the things that, you know, you just sort of ignored when you're growing up or like those patterns, when you look at that and actually get into 
you know, how that really felt and how you have actually organized your, your body, speech, and mind and emotions to defend against those, those experiences. When you start to get in there and just allow those experiences, you know, to, to be in you for a while, to, you know, to feel what it was actually like and then let them go. That to me is that that is actually where the, uh, the gold is, you know, everybody has that. I mean, we all have our hurt, you know, as individuals, but we all also have our hurt as a collective, you know, human beings are amazing, but some of the creations we've made are, you know, um, concentration camps and, you know, torturing devices and things of that sorts. We know ways of oppressing people. Right. And so it's good to keep, and the other thing is that when we explore those parts of us that, that, that are hurt with inside us and that aren't fully developed, it liberates them from, we, we, become, we, we gain our freedom back from those things. Because as long as they're sort of running below the surface, they're causing us to react in ways that are not necessarily based on what, what the, uh, what's actually in front of us. And you so, put it in your book. I actually have that page. It's funny how this conversation is just kind of taking it a life yeah. of its own and getting to uh, touching upon the things I wanted to talk about that I found really profound in your book. And one of them was, you said, any, any genuine undertaking, especially those that unfold over long periods of time, it is always paired with the opportunity to untie our own internal knots, the knots of imprints, the knots of habitual patterns, a chance to confront self-defeating obstacles so that life-enabling self-expression can flow more freely. And that is just such a powerful definition of creativity, I think, and creating your life, exactly what you were just talking about. So- yeah, that, that was, uh, how to say, and this is interesting, because my wife, you know, the last chapter, the, the, whole, the whole book is about basically me just totally falling apart, you know, falling apart in the wake of actually, um, you know, expecting to become a father, you know, which scared the hell out of me. I come from a long line of divorced men, alcoholism, and I kind of avoided, try to avoid those particular things. And here I am suddenly with this child on the way. And I was, and I was just, you know, I was so scared. I knew that we were supposed to have this, but I was so scared. And so the reason that's at the back of the book is it's saying, because again, if we try to build a false identity as a creator, you know, and try to say, again, ignore the things that are, that, that are holding us back internally, we're never really going to get to get to the gold. We're not going to get to the, you know, the, the real joy. And, and again, it's not fun. It takes work. You know, it, it, it hurts to go through those things. But when you do those things and you allow yourself to be pulled apart, right, it allows that, you know, that part of you that is always already available and is always infinitely creative to basically be in the forefront of your existence. Because you're not, your ego isn't spending so much time trying to protect that false part of yourself that that really, that's the opposite of being creative, right? That's the that box you're talking about. Exactly. It's like when I'm talking to clients, basically I say, here's your ego, here's yourself. When your ego is based on, it's all it's about is survival, you know, and it can do really great things. It, it commands language. It does mm-hmm. all kinds of great things here. But this is actually your connection to the universe. This is your wisdom. This is the source of your intelligence. It's not in you. It flows through you. And all we're here to do is go like this. You know? Yeah. Yourself is there and you're continuing to use your ego as a tool, but you also shut it off so you can just experience the world as, you know, as unfettered as possible. Absolutely. And then you can step into each day and show up in a really authentic and much more powerful way that actually Mm -hmm. comes from a place of deep joy and not from fear, not from lack, not from comparison, not Mm -hmm. from those places that, um, 
you know, you can create power in your life, but it always comes attached with a fear. It comes attached with a price tag and it comes, it comes with a looking over your shoulder that that isn't the kind of powerful creator that we're talking about here at all. And exactly. So, yeah. The powerful creators tapped in, whereas yes. they were, and, and they're, and they recognize that they are always co-creating with the universe. The unpowerful creator is a narcissist, which thinks that they're projecting their basically their fear patterns onto the world around them, trying to set up a perfect world that matches what they think the world should be, mm-hmm. and basically never fully embracing the, the the deeper cut, which is the felt sense of being in communion with, with the world around you, including the people you interact with, including the projects you undertake, and including the ways that you you understand those projects, the meaning that you ascribe to them. That you can step into a much more expansive place and be willing to um, go along for the ride, you know, that you don't know necessarily where it's going to go and you open yourself up for better things um, like you have as a spouse and as a father. You're probably an amazing father. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I'm I'm a good, you know, I've had to learn, again, my patterning was around like divorces. So I've had to work hard to be a good husband, you know, because I was an avoidant, you know, I fully admit that. And because I, you know, there's a time I was working in a shaman in Peru and he said, when we were most affected by when your parents got a divorce, I said, when I was four years old. So I realized like at that young of age, you know, I have a daughter that's five years old and see how young she is. And if, you know, imagining myself as that little boy that basically said, okay, I'm going to care for myself because mm-hmm. I got to take care of myself, you know, unlearning that for the sake of intimacy in a relationship it's been, it's been work for me, but it's, you know, it's great work. It's the best work like relationships, you know, as our friend Richard Rudd would say, you know, they're the heart of everything. If, you know, you, we get more triggered by the people that are in our lives and we also get more love and expansive experiences. And both those are two sides of the same coin, you know, that sort of contraction and an expansion. They're just uh, how we're relating to those different things that come up. Absolutely. So my last question for you before we wrap up here is, um, I love your, your Eastern philosophy tying so much into creativity. And ha- can you tell me how you think that mindfulness and creativity go together and how they work together? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so uh, I've explored this a lot because it's interesting because my explorations of creativity really kind of paralleled um, my taking refuge in the Buddhist path in basically 2002. And so, and it's interesting because as a creator at that time, a 32 year old man, I'm like, oh, I'm going to figure out a whole new system, you know, that is about creativity. But in going through Tibetan Buddhism or what they call Vajrayana Buddhism, as I, my explorations of creativity explored them, I'm like, actually, this is already a map of creativity. This is already a beautiful, perfect map of creativity. And so mindfulness is a, is a word that's used, you know, all the time. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's one of those things that's kind of creeping in the annals of creativity and like people don't actually know what it means. The traditional definition of mindfulness is that when you're in meditation and your mind starts to wander, mindfulness is that, that, that intelligence that maybe seems part of you or, you know, flows through you that is able to say you're, you're, you're not on the focal object anymore. And so, and it's what it is, it's almost like, it's a, it almost seems like a meta awareness that's there. And really, you know, you can think of mindfulness in the same way that I'm talking about creativity is it's, it's, it's both a meta awareness or a meta intelligence, but it's also a substrate. And so it's, um, and so mindfulness in terms of how you think about it, in terms of the different categories of creativity I talked about, um, insight, 
manifestation. And there's a third category, self-expression, which is just the combination of the two and the experience of creative flow. Insights are really about the initial stages of meditation, what they call the Hinayana, the narrow path, which is all about learning to see through your thoughts, you know, see the, see the, see the space that's the intelligent space that is beyond your thoughts, you know? So you're sitting there and you get a moment. It's like, Oh, that was different. But you start to realize actually your thoughts are preventing you from doing that. Moving into the manifestation phase. That's actually, you have to, again, you have to, you want to have that eye on the real prize, which is the substrate, right? That intelligence is always there while you use your, finite intellect on occasion in order to plan and carry out those plans. Right. But always, you know, the, the, just little sprinkles of it, less, less, the better. And then finally it's in self-expression or the experience of creative, creative flow, which is, you know, probably, probably one of the best experiences that any of us can have. And it can be applied to anything. It's just because it's, it's that paradoxical feeling of being connected to the world while you're doing things. And so in mindfulness, they would consider that to be the essence of the Vajrayana, where you're taking your, as opposed to taking refuge in your confusion, moving towards enlightenment, you take your refuge and you take refuge in your wakefulness and you see that everything is awake and that it's always a choice to view any situation. It's, not, it's, never, it's never inherently good or bad. It's always a decision. So that's how mindfulness works. Again, awareness of self, awareness of how to work with other in the world, you know, the mm-hmm. compassion, wisdom, compassion, and then what they call non-duality, which is just really a fancy word for feeling that deep sense of being connected while you're doing things, like while you're forwarding something, you know? Yeah. And, you know, it feels great. It does feel great. That's yeah. a, it's a wonderful place to be. And that's where, that's where the magic happens. And you do feel that sense that, mm-hmm everything's connected and you're a part of the universe and a a part of something so much bigger than just yourself and your own thoughts. And the more that you untie, Mm -hmm. the more you expand and allow that more of that to come into your life. Yeah. I feel it with you right now. And I, you know, I can, the reason is, is like you love creativity as much as I do. And you also know that it's so important for people to do that. Cause the other thing is, you know, we're the only species that creates, we're the only species that takes our own lives. Yeah. Why do we take our own lives? Because we're not activating our creativity. And so it's actually the healing component of, you know, what you're doing in terms of saying, I want to empower you. And really, it's not about that. I'm not giving you something you don't have already. I'm just uncovering it. Reminding you. (laughs) Reminding you. Exactly. Here you go. Okay. Yeah, you're there. You know, you are always already a creator. Yeah, yeah, because as you mentioned, we, we were born into families that we didn't necessarily ask to be born into. Some people think you did, but I don't know. I don't know yeah. that for sure. But you're conditioned by the time you're seven years old, and you're exactly. conditioned with other people's beliefs. And so you get to spend the whole rest of your life trying to decondition yourself and find that, that heart of you, that part of you that is, that is connected, the soul of you, the center of you, that still point that you can touch. Yeah, exactly. It's the love is always available. That's another way of thinking of you can mindfulness and creativity, you know, insight is receiving love from the universe. You know, manifestation is giving love back to the universe and flow is basically just, it's like a a toroidal field. It's just, you know, it's like dancing, you know, you're feeling the music and you're, you know, you're doing it. It's just that full participation where you recognize that it's just everywhere and you know, love is everywhere. So I love yeah. that. You just gave me my sound bite for the podcast. That's perfect. 
good. All right. Well, tell people where they can find you and find more about you, what you're doing and what you're working on and all that good stuff. Yeah. So, um, well, there's a, I have a website with all the creative teachings on it, which is uh, austinhillshaw.com. And there's resources on the bottom of that page. There's something called the Creator's Cheat Sheet. Um, there's also something how to build cultures of innovation. Um, yeah, a lot of just free resources there. And, um, and I'm also work as an architectural designer. I have something called um, the th- Three Lights Designs. And uh, we, we're working, you know, one of the things that we're working on and we're really excited about is that we recognize that even though arch- architecture is an amazing and noble profession that, you know, you get to create, you create things, you problem solve, and there's timelines. It's like all these puzzles. And as a designer, I absolutely love that. But one thing that's happened in architecture, which I feel is really sad is, is that one it's become transactional and it's become materialistic. So really architecture is here to serve human beings and happy human beings actually serve the, you know, the world that we live in better. And so our methodology that we're, we're developing is about, it's not the building that's the most important thing. It's the relationship with the client. And so, you know, what we're doing is we call it the core needs design method. And all I'm doing when I'm, when I'm meeting with people for the first time is I'm connecting with them on that authentic level, building that that's the main thing. And then, and then enrolling them as creators in the process. And it's like, I'm not the person who's going to be designing your house. I'm going to be designing it with you. We're going to be doing this together. You're the expert of your own life. You need to tell me how to do my job, you know, so that they are getting that sense of agency and contribution. And finally, I take them through an interview process called the full spectrum client intake, which allows me to see their deepest needs and values and wishes, their cosmologies, just in a set of six questions. You know, we move up from the material to the spiritual and you just can't believe what people tell you. You know, they're like, I'm working on a, we're, we're doing a, a project right now for a pediatrician of 35 years who is, is has Parkinson's and he and his wife, um, they, they both are married a couple of times. They have like 12 kids together and like 13 grandkids. And, and they said, you know, this project, and she said this, this project is called the bungalow of solitude. We are here to teach our children how to die with dignity. Oh. And I was like, you know, and so that becomes, so it's just a matter of listening and allowing people to share what's most important to them. And so, and when you get into their worlds, it's no longer a trans transactional experience. It's no longer a material experience. Those things are included, but it's a journey and it's a transformative journey for everybody involved. And then ultimately, people going through that ultimately feel more connected to the land that their project is on as well. For which sure. is another thing that we, you know, the other thing that we disconnect on is, is that we don't, you know, as, as Westerners, we don't have that visceral connections that you see, for example, that people live in the Andes, you know, that have that, they have a cosmology that's about engaging landforms and trees as their brothers and sisters, not as inanimate objects or lesser beings. So that's... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just in the thick of that right now. I'm so excited, you know, I'm bursting out of my skin, but it's, um, you know, because so many buildings I know I realize for the wrong reasons, especially for the affluent where, you know, you try to solve a problem internally by remodeling your house. Terrible idea. Oh, so, you know, exactly. So basically um, the, the, the model I have is I'm working as a healer through the medium of architecture, trying to p- p- uh, connect people to themselves, to the team, empower them in the process and ultimately make them feel so good about the process that they went through 
that in the end they become stewards and just, mm-hmm. you know, they, they are the people that are putting their sticks in the ground and saying, I'm here to care for you. I'm yeah. a pillar in this. And so you're not just creating homes, you're creating sacred spaces where people, mm-hmm. yeah, that's one. That's amazing. Yeah. It's super fun. And it's uh, you know, we've been chewing on it. We do it. You know, we, every, every client that we get, we get, you know, different clients from all different races and religions and all these sorts of things. You see all the differences and, but fundamentally you see that shared humanity, humanity underneath everything. Everybody needs love. Everybody wants to contribute and everybody needs a meaning, you know, a meaning that's significant to them. So it's uh, it's fun work. And, and, you know, we're really, we're really excited that we get to do this work. You know, it makes every day like, Whoa, you learn everything. You're just learning from people all the time. It's so much fun. That's amazing. Well, the world is so lucky that we have you in it, Austin. Thank you for being here and for the beautiful work you put out in the world and your book and the things you're doing now and just your heart and your love and your generosity and your just living as a powerful creator. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. And I'm glad that I have a sister in that now, you know, like we can do this we just, you know, let's go out and do this. You know, it's so I'm, your enthusiasm is contagious. It's so awesome. Oh, thank you. Know? you. Yeah. So I, uh, I, I really, you know, you're doing, I really appreciate you doing this work. You know? Awesome. Thanks Austin. I appreciate yeah. it. I'll put links to everything that you just talked about at the bottom of the interview so people can look up and find out more about you and what you're doing in the world. Yay. All right. Well, thank you. I wish you a beautiful, wonderful, awesome rest of your day. Thank you so much. Thank you, Cheryl. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Powerful Creator Show. If you like what you've heard, you can subscribe on iTunes or go to thepowerfulcreatorshow.com and join our email list so you never miss a future episode. I hope you have a powerfully creative day.